you have reached a phone call from Paul. A Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 2 of Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with William Gibson. I've found that it's more more challenging and, and probably literally impossible to imagine the world prior to our own experience of, of media than it is to imagine media that don't that don't exist and I can barely remember the world prior to my experience of television so that gives me something something to work with but what I think is more interesting is to to listen to audio recordings of music played by musicians who had never heard recorded music. And it's possible. It's possible to do that. I think there may actually be a few specialist collections that amount to a selection of that that kind of music. And it certainly sounds strange. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound like any later Music. What 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 music in particular have you listened to, and why is it strange? I mean, I I find this I find myself now listening to you talk about this completely curious and nearly transposed, um, very eager to hear it. I'm trying to. Oh, it's been it's been probably twenty years since I I've looked into it, so I'd have to. I'd have to go back. I there. I think that there's a collection of. There is a collection. One particular collection of CDs of very very early record recordings of music, and those those recordings were so early that they amounted to. Um, anthropological field recordings, which in some cases they were. So that the person who was playing or singing who's being being recorded has no idea of the existence of recorded music or, or of what is being done. They don't know they're being recorded. They've only heard themselves sing or another another sing another person singing uh, and it's it's i can't possibly describe what the exact difference is but i think there's really there's really a, really a difference and it, and and the difference is that that you don't have any point of comparison and that you don't really know what a recording sounds like. It's uh, we're going back to this notion of a. Make that you're, you're, um, if you if you had never heard recorded music and you didn't have it as a, a category of experience, if it simply had never never existed for you, 
you know, it, it, I think that, that your concept of what music is would be would be fantastically different. One something that's happened, a change that's occurred uh, over the course of my own life that that I think somewhat puts this vague claim I'm making it into into perspective is the way in which seeing a film used used to be uh, something that was so dependent on so many factors that it made it largely unrepeatable. You could see the film uh, on its theatrical release, but unless you lived in, say, New York, there were no repertory cinemas. So, so people saw a film once and then lived with it in, in memory. There was no television. There were no, no videotapes of, of films. The film existed primarily in, in memory and the, the experience of actually seeing it was very intense. I suppose if you'd been immediately uh, struck by some particular classic, you could have gone, you could have, you know, paid another ticket or remained, hidden the theater seen it. No, but you're saying something so interesting because that means that what you commit to memory, if it's not readily available, the the memory of it... I, I suppose remains much more pungent and much stronger. I, it has some. It has some other quality. I first saw, for instance, Chris Marker's La Jetée yes. in a, a film history course when I was an undergraduate at the University of British Columbia. I. Was had been vaguely aware of it uh, earlier because it is, you know, technically a science fiction film, even though it's a short avant-garde French film. I, I had had in my life prior to that no opportunity whatever to see any avant-garde short French films, and I wasn't. I, so I had no idea what to expect. I wasn't really expecting very much, and it had this extraordinarily profound effect on me, and it's very, very brief. And I actually left the lecture hall feeling uh, uneasily that I had somehow something had happened. I'd been experienced some sort of sort of transformation, and, and I didn't I didn't know what it was. Then I was unable to see it again for a decade. I mean, I, I suppose I could have sought it out, but just as your average civilian person who mainly mainly reads books, it didn't come my way. There were no video still video rental places. You know, I was and I actually saw it before videotape was. Was generally generally available, so it had to be film projected on a on a projector. And because I wasn't a, a really a cinephile, 
I would have had, you know, I would have had to belong to the the National Film Board Cinema Club <laughs> in order to see La Jetée again. But then I saw it on on television, just randomly on on CBC, and then again didn't you know didn't see it for years didn't see it for years after that. Now anyone in the world can can watch it repeatedly on YouTube at any time, and I, and I think that's there's a fundamental difference in in those those two modes. Two modes of being, and I don't. While I, I I can have a certain nostalgia, I was going to ask the the earlier mode. It, it's it's it doesn't quite go so far as saying yes. We should try to get back to that. Let's not. When we let's not have experiences be quite so universally available. I mean, that doesn't seem to be the answer either. No, but but what what is. I mean, you know, I was going to ask you a question about nostalgia because um, I try to resist it, but it, I'm, I'm weak and unable to in some sense. I, I do have um, a nostalgia for long-playing records, which I, I find... Um, I'm, I'm, I, I wish I didn't have it, but I... I I love the the kind of tactile inebriation the the gesture of putting on a a distinct piece of music that isn't part of a, you know a huge collection on one's iPod um there's something about it that makes the occasion of listening perhaps a little more special I I agree. I I have that. I have that too. The remarkable thing is how many younger people apparently have that. And I'm always if I ever have call to go into Urban Outfitters, the thing that always strikes me is their their selection of portable phonographs. I know, I know. They they have a whole new line of portable uh, f uh, phonographs that you can buy in a, in a, in a in a little case that you can transport. What I mean, this must be extraordinary for you to see. What what does it bring to mind when you when you see that? Well, it doesn't. Um, it it doesn't actually seem that it doesn't seem that remarkable to me because my life spanned the the age of the long playing phonograph record and the 45 and and they their uh, their relative dis their relative disappearance so but i've always you know had you know somewhere in the house there's a closet there's a closet with with all the lps although uh, only my only my daughter play plays them now, but for me it never it never entirely went went away. Uh, I'm not sure what it would look like to what it would look 
like to someone who is a bit younger and hadn't had phonograph records as a as a platform seeing even younger people younger people play them but some of the the mu musical arguments the arguments of of musicians for the the superiority of analog recordings i'm not musical enough to understand those arguments but it, it impresses me to see that they even even exist well, the but it may be neurological rather than than purely nostalgic well, you're actually having having a different neurological experience of the same recording by by listening to it in analog it's very interesting i mean the, I, certainly i've 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 been part and overheard so many of those arguments that can become quite heated and 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 passionate yes. um you were mentioning film a moment ago and i'm i'm wondering if I know you're in the midst of writing, um, even if the world looks gloomy, dark, and goofy. Um, do you do you take yourself to the to the movies? Well, I go with. Uh, I never take myself. I go. I, I go with. I go with friends, and I haven't. Uh, I haven't been. Oh yes, well actually I did go recently. I, I went to uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Yes, uh, which I I absolutely I absolutely love, but I love all of his all of his work. So that was my most recent cinema experience. So the rest of it, I think I get by osmosis via osmosis on. Twitter, right. That it comes through in little bits and bits and pieces, and sometimes I, I I surprise myself remembering that I haven't actually seen something. It feels as though I have. Um, this this is so interesting, Bill, isn't it? Because just a moment ago, you and I were talking about this notion of what I take to be a primordial experience. And now we have all of these, what one might call secondary experiences that make us feel as though we've had a primordial experience. Indeed, although I'm, I'm dubious about, I'm dubious about ranking. Yeah, I, I would imagine you would be. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about ranking. I, I've long suspected that what our our descendants will find quaintest about us is that we made distinctions of that sort. That they'll be looking back and they'll be going, so strange, they didn't think Facebook was real. <laughs> is it... Actually, there's a, there's a wonderful, weird book, which, which, the title of which I will 
probably be unable to remember, but it, it's uh, a collection of a collection of first-person accounts of people in of Victorians encountering new technologies, and they're you know it's it's taken from diaries and letters. It's not famous people; it's just ordinary ordinary people. And the one that always struck struck me was an Anglican clergyman who went to a garden party, heard an Edison phonograph talking, and went home and wrote this completely terrifying description of of this demonic, satanic, mechanical voice speaking to the children in the garden, and how this probably presaged the end of the world. And he was he was just writing for himself, so it was well, you know, he wasn't he wasn't exaggerating and I thought, Oh wow <laughs> he had you know, he, he had this absolutely intense experience, but I I don't think I could say that what he what it caused him to fear came to pass. Right, and I and I I think of I think of the, the Anglican that Anglican clergyman whenever I see someone going off on a really uh, really good rant about some new new technology or or media platform. Yeah, because it's it's so it's so easy to. To, to to find fault with it and to to think that these new technologies just separate us instead of in some way bringing us together in a different way i mean it's so easy to to feel that um our screens are a screen that puts us at odds with other people when in fact um you know you were mentioning earlier twitter it can also bring you all kinds of uh, information. Exactly. No, I, I I agree, and we. But I think it's it's uh, it's something to do with the the tenor of our era that allows us to be on both. I think we we all find ourselves on either side of that fence, right? Fairly, fairly regularly. Uh, it's you know that it's it's an it's an extraordinary time in which to be alive, and we're able to have these these unprecedented experiences via via this technology, and then suddenly we'll find ourselves on the other side, and it's all it's all scary and. Alienating and and new. <laughs> yes, Bill. What after after our phone call now? What what will you what will you do? What will you go back to? I will probably go and have a go and have a, a small, quick lunch. Check Twitter and attempt to then attempt to 
have a character pick up a conversation in in the book I'm I'm working on, which is a conversation which she's having with a voice in her head, which is actually a sort of Siri-like artificial <clears throat> artificial intelligence that has it's an artificial intelligence that happens to be in this woman's head and it happens to be coming more fully to consciousness in, in a way that's causing it uh, to have an existential crisis so it's a, a woman a woman having a literal conversation with a, with a, a voice in her head, and the voice in her head is either having a nervous breakdown or or coming to some sort of uh, great self revelation. And they've only known one another for about three hours. So whenever I put that one down. Going back to it, it's very difficult. <laughs> well, well, um, Bill, it's it's been a, a real, real pleasure to talk to you, and I, I hope that that voice come comes to you after this conversation. I, I certainly look forward to to reading what what um, what will certainly be a, a, a very interesting new novel. Are you are you working on it now to finish it in the in the near future? Well, uh, I would hope. So. I would hope so. And I, I think that just having having been able to have uh, another wonderful conversation with you will will further can only further the process. Well, Bill, thank you very much for saying that, and I look forward to seeing you in person. Though it's been a pleasure also to hear your voice on this phone call. I send you all my very very best. Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I hope to see you again soon. I hope so, too. Bye-bye.